Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. In case you ever wondered how Las Vegas has those buildings with the stratosphere and the gondolas and the lights and all the expensive stuff, the Bellagio, BYU Gonzaga, and tonight's Virginia UNC game are the reasons why. Welcome to the Screen the Screener podcast where we talk all things NCAA basketball with you. I am Mike Randall, joined by my illustrious partner Gus Kearns. Gus, this may be the most excited I've ever been for the Screen the Screener podcast, tonight's podcast. How you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm still a little heartbroken over the Gonzaga loss, but I'm recovering slowly but surely. Man, March is coming, people. If you're going to have two crazy results like that, then it's only going to get better from here on out. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Screen the Screener podcast. Thank you for your choice of consumption of our podcast. We are fabricating on the 27th of February, 2017. We hope to aid in your commute to and fro work. Hopefully make your uh, end your day on a good note or at least start it off in the right way. Uh, hopefully we can uh, get you all the way ready for March and get you excited for some of these crazy games, these crazy results that we're going to keep seeing and revisiting over and over again. We want to say we're thankful, we're humbled, and we're honestly eager and fired up to talk NCAA hoops with you, Mike, and our ever-increasing audience. Ahoy out there, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Mike Randall, I think I can make it. I think I can overcome this Gonzaga loss. Well... Gus, I'm going to help you get there too. I, I'm going to I'm going to try to detox you here as we go through the Gonzaga situation and try uh, to bring you to so hard watching. I'm going to try to bring you to my side, but I have a feeling there's going to be some resistance, folks. Today we have an action-packed podcast. We're going to do a little review from the weekend right now, and then we had the pleasure of having John Gassaway from ESPN Insider on the podcast. He's going to talk about his fantastic breakdowns, his Tuesday truths, his blog, johngassaway.com, all the great stuff that he talks about. He is going to bring you numbers. He's going to bring you metrics. Gus is going to love it, the scribbling, the paper, the whole thing. You'll hear it coming live. We got that coming up in a little bit, but we need to start with what happened this weekend. Gus, as we always begin, my friend, news and notes from the hardwood. News and notes from the hardwood. Let the battle begin. Gus, I was working on my article for BT Powerhouse while this game was going on. I watched a lot of games on Saturday, as we always do. I had to work on it. I went in the other room trying to block everything out. And you send me a text message. Folks, this is the God's honest truth. Best thing ever for Gonzaga. And I look at my phone and go... Did they lose to to BYU? Last time I checked, they were up like 15. Gus, take it away. Look, the game had enormous ebbs and flows. Gonzaga got out to an 18-2 lead, and you thought maybe that the senior night uh, atmosphere would just guide them off to their 20-point win. And remember, coming into this game, they were favored by about 20, which is nuts against BYU. Absolutely crazy. BYU slowly chipped away. Eric Micah had a great game inside. Their shooter shot it well enough from outside. And slowly but surely, they found their way back in the game. 
you kind of felt the momentum turning, turning, turning. And then, but not until about three minutes to go, did you feel like, oh, Gonzaga's in danger of losing this game. And then I don't mean to blame it on one guy who we really love. We're really big fans of him here. We think he's an amazing athlete, great point guard, completely underrated. But I felt like the end game situation with the ball in Josh Birkin's hands was just a calamity of errors. He finished the game with six total turnovers. And if you're going to have six total turnovers, three of which or two of which in crunch time in the final minute, then you're not, you don't have the end game execution. And it's funny because I feel like when we saw Coach Few on Scott Van Pelt uh, Sports Center, his late night Sports Center, which is really cool, love watching it. Uh, he always has interesting guys on with interesting views. Um, and let's put Bill Walton go on like two minute diatribes about Buffalo getting released. Coach Few made a point of saying that they had practiced these end game situations because Scott Van Pelt brought up. The fact that, like, hey, you guys haven't been in a close game. What are you going to do in it? So when I text you, best thing ever for Gonzaga, guess what? They now know what not to do in that situation. They may not know what to do in that situation, but now they certainly can cross something off their list of what not to do. The next time that they're in that situation, I'm guaranteeing they're going to switch the ball handling duties over to William uh, uh, Nigel Williams-Goss have Perkins play off the ball, or maybe even put uh, Matthews off the ball off to the side and not have Perkins in the game at all, maybe have Melson in there. I'm not sure. I'm sure they're going to change up their strategy. If nothing else, they now know what not to do. Here's the other part. The dialogue and the storyline was, will Gonzaga go undefeated? Will Gonzaga go into the tournament undefeated? Will Gonzaga get a one seed even though they're undefeated? How good is Gonzaga? Guess what? Now the narrative changes. Now the narrative is like, People are like crumpling up the piece of paper and they're trying to throw it into the garbage like, hey, see, told you so. Don't have to worry about them anymore. They took a loss. They're not that good. Perfect. That's what I say. Gonzaga can now fly a little bit under the radar next couple of games. They can get things righted. Coach Few can go back and school them over and over and over again on that in-game situation and say, look, we had this game on, on lockdown. Here's what we didn't do right. Here's what we need to change. Let's practice it over and over again. I am predicting if they get into this situation again, whether it be in the West Co- uh, in the tournament, maybe against St. Mary's, or maybe in a Sweet 16 game on the road where they find it tight, I am guaranteeing a difference in execution and a better result of that endgame execution from Gonzaga. That is a wonderful narrative. And I think that that's a very logical narrative from a supporter of Gonzaga. But being the Mike Randall objective truther that I am, I must interject. And I want to clarify this by saying I am the guy who hates when the big schools say, ah, we're 8-8 eight eight in conference. You know, so see, uh, Wichita State loses in the finals of the Missouri Valley. They shouldn't be in. We should be in. So I am not overreacting to one loss. And I will tell you this, Gonzaga is the real deal. I am not telling you they're overrated. I'm not telling you I told you so. But I am going to tell you this, my friend. That loss is very concerning to me on Mm. a lot of levels. Here's my rationale. It would almost be better, Gus, if they lost a random game, WCC, on the road. You know, you can say, oh, maybe they didn't take it seriously. This was senior night. Mm -hmm. This was home. 
Mm-hmm. This was against a BYU team that had beaten them in Gonzaga two consecutive years. And it was an undefeated regular season on the line. There is no way they took BYU lightly. There's no way they blew them off. There's no way they were like hanging out on curfew or something. I can rationalize that. I'm telling you, Gus, I am worried about Gonzaga. I would have rather them lost on the road to Portland. I know that sounds insane, but my point is they wanted this game. They didn't sneak up. This wasn't a game, oh, yeah, well, they just weren't ready. They were ready. You're telling me they're not motivated when the kennel's going nuts? Listen, Mika is a very, very good player. 29 points, 11 rebounds. He had the flow going. You know, Gus, we talked about the Middle Tennessee State flow last year. I got to watch it. I had to watch it at 1 in the morning because you texted me. and I watched the guy taped it. Mika had it going on. You know, Hawes making those shots. I just can't get over how Hawes looks. I know that's very, I'm just saying, like, you look at him, he doesn't look, you know, as imposing. But Emery's making shots. They struggled, Gonzaga, from the three point range. They were they only, did. They were only three of 16. Listen, Gus, I think they're really, really good. I am not telling you they're overrated. Nonsense. I'm telling you this. You can say what you want. They're not getting one. After what that committee told you when they put you behind Baylor, I'm saying you because I know you're invested and you predict them to the final four. And you may be right. I was shocked they were behind Baylor. There's no mm-hmm. way they were one. I, I, I would be flabbergasted. I'd be happy in a really weird way. I'd be flabbergasted. And I'll tell you right now, they get tripped up again. They're going to be a three or lower. This was a, I just think this was a brutal, brutal loss because you can't tell me they weren't fired up. So I think my rebuttal to <laughs> your little diatribe here of like the sky is falling, but not really, is who cares? It's okay. Like, it's okay if that's what we're talking about now. If what we're talking about now is they may not get a one seed or they may be ranked uh, as the number five team in the country, that's okay. Every team is going to take a loss. Unless you're the Kentucky team from 2015 or Bob Knight in Indiana team um, or Wichita State when they rolled in and got a, an awful draw of Kentucky as the eight seed. Like, those are anomalies. Every team is going to take a loss, especially with teams playing more games coming into the season. And the fact that we're just changing what we're talking about, about Gonzaga, I don't think is any big deal at all. In fact, I like that we're focusing on something else. It's kind of like that pressure is now off and they can stop answering questions about it. You know what they can answer questions about? What they did wrong and what they're going to correct moving forward. I think that's kind of refreshing for a student athlete um, you know, being former student athletes ourselves, like, we, like we, I would much rather answer that question than like, hey, what do you guys think you have to do to be undefeated? Like, you're going to get to give the token answer. Now, when they get asked that question, guess what? They're going to give a really authentic, thoughtful answer that has some backing to it and has some merit to it. I like the change of narrative here for Gonzaga. I think it's going to be helpful. I think every time a, a team has a moment like this, it's a perfect coaching moment. And we know that Coach Few and that coaching staff is an, does an unbelievable job with player development, does an unbelievable job with letting their players grow and develop as people. This is just going to be a perfect teaching moment for those players. And you know what? Those players that transferred in this year, Jordan Matthews, Jonathan Williams, um, Nigel Williams-Goss, like, they were waiting for this teachable moment at Gonzaga. They, they, this is why they came. They came to have this pressure applied on them and to have this moment. Now they have this moment. Let's see what they do with it moving forward. I'm kind of excited to see it. I'm not worried. 
I'm not down on them. I want to see what they do moving forward with this, like, in their quiver for the next arrow that they can shoot at the next problem they need to solve. Bro, I love you. If you need a kidney, I give you one. I think you're nuts. You are talking as if this was five Gus Kearns, metric savant, mature, great coach, great person, adult. These are college kids. The, the, the narrative on Gonzaga is they can't get over the hump, that they're the mid-major that became a legendary great team, but they always fall short in, in, in March. And, and you may not believe that, and I don't believe that, but that's their narrative. So it's about their mindset. Listen, if their mindset is truly what you just said, this is an irrelevant loss. That is 100% correct. I completely agree with you. These are college kids. This is a team that few and all these guys, they were in trouble against Southern a couple years ago. They were in trouble and they were staring at it. And right now, I think deep down, there's a part of them that's saying, are we really this good? And, and listen, if I'm wrong, I've been wrong a million times this year. <laughs> I'll be the first one to come out and tell you this. I think the way the loss happened is huge for them. I think it hurts them. I think they're shaken. I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost in the WCC tournament because of it. This one cut deep. It's like I pictured when I was watching the end of the game, it was like when Rocky cut the Russian. I think this can go one way or another. You're saying they're going to rally. It's a teachable moment. Few's got some more stuff to harp on. Maybe they're going to get hungry. I think that's a very fair narrative. And in a lot of ways, Gus, I hope you're right, and I'm rooting for that. You put a lie detector test on me right now. This is a bad loss. You lost a lot here, and you guys were fired up, and BYU has now beaten you three times in a row at home. This is a team that lost to San Diego by 13, as John Gassaway pointed out. I think it's a bad loss. Let's see what happens. I'm dying to see where they're seated. You're right. One, two seed. What does it matter? It doesn't really matter. Villanova's two seed. It doesn't matter. You're totally right about that. But I have to say, Gus, I am very concerned the way it happened. And, and I know uh, Gonzalo Bedia and all our fans are going to say, he's just better than lose the same St. Mary's. <laughs> okay, fair. Maybe that's a fair point. But I do think the way this happened concerns me. And I have to tell you, I'm a little shaky on that 2-7 game now in the second round. Let's see what happens. Michigan State, Gonzaga, if they're 10, look out. I, I think it's going to have a lasting effect, but time will tell. I, I get what you're saying. Okay, last thing on this, listeners, and Mike Randall, and then we'll move on. Talking about the seeding of where Gonzaga is going to fall, like currently today, like this week, the last day before it turns to March, is completely irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. Here's why. Guess what? If Gonzaga can lose to BYU, Villanova can take on another loss, Kansas can take on another loss, UNC is going to take on another loss, everybody waiting in the wings as two seeds are going to take losses, whether it be Louisville, whether it be Kentucky, whether it be, I don't know, who am I missing here as a, as a possible two seed? Like All of those teams could take losses too going into this thing. Like, who knows who's going to drop one of those final games on a, on a crazy senior night on somebody else's home floor? Who knows who's going to face a really desperate team that needs one more win to get in? Like, if they're going to face a Northwestern that's, like, dying to get in. Like, everybody's going to take a loss. So trying to, like, determine currently today right now, like, oh, is Gonzaga going to get a one seed? Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. Like, it doesn't matter. Everybody else is going to take a loss. There's going to be other carnage in other conferences that's going to happen, that, that's going to occur. There's no doubt that that's going down. And guess what? You know who the winner is and all that? Us. 
the viewers and the listeners. I can't wait to watch all that carnage take place. Yeah, so true. You're right. It is, it is us. It is us. I yeah. I read an article by Lenardi. Lenardi put something on ESPN about how this doesn't matter. People are overreacting. By the way, teams lose all the time. He said something like, you know, the, it's the Ken Palm numbers that count because like three of the last six people have it. Yeah, you know what, Joe? Let me explain something to you. <laughs> Joe, you have the job that I wish I had my entire life, but right, fine. Right. Joe, let me ask you a question. How did Ken Palm's number look before this BYU game, huh? Because I know in Vegas they weren't even taking the money line bet. That's how big it was. Joe, what we do here is we predict what happens in the NCAA tournament. That That's our fun. That's what we like to do. And I'm sorry. We've seen schools like Gonzaga try to get over the hump all the time, and we've seen losses like this. That's how we know that tonight, except for me, you're going to bet Virginia against North Carolina. <laughs> Because even though North Carolina blew them out, Virginia's going to rally at home. They're going to get fired up senior at the whole thing. It's illogical. If it was a logical metric that we could figure out on a day-in, day-out basis, especially the tournament, it wouldn't be as popular as it is. Time will tell. Let's see what happens. Does it matter what seed they are? No, it doesn't. But I think Gonzaga right now is in line for a upset at some point that no one's going to see coming. That's what I'm trying to say. But you know what? You're right. This is why we love it. This is exactly why we love it. Anyway, shocking event. Um, We'll see what happens. Boy, that was a lot of fun. What we got next, Gus? So here's what we're going to try to do next. I'm going to put in a little plug here. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably log on to ESPN to check scores or check stories or or whatever you're going to, you know, get into there. My one of my main reasons for becoming an ESPN insider during the college basketball season is because of our next guest. John Gassaway's writing, uh, knowledge, thoughts on what he sees and numbers he crunches is absolutely fascinating and eye-opening. He was so kind to give us a couple of minutes and spread some knowledge on a couple of things that were on his mind, a couple of things that were on our mind, that we were, that were unbelievably, we, I couldn't believe we got the chance to ask him these things. So listeners, what we're going to do is we're going to ask for you just to sit back, listen in, maybe get a little notebook out, take some notes on what John is going to tell you here, and then thank us later. John Gassaway, unbelievable job. Mike, thank you for getting the interview up and getting him on board. Unbelievable job out of you. Uh, So listeners, please enjoy John Gassaway on the Screen the Screener podcast. Folks, we are truly honored to have John Gassaway, college hoops analyst for ESPN Insider, joining us today on the Screen the Screener podcast. John is an incredible basketball mind. Gus and I have followed him now for years. Love reading his his thoughts on all things college basketball. He's written for Basketball Prospectus. He's written for the Wall Street Journal. He has his own blog, johngassaway.com, where he produces some great work, especially one of our favorites, which is Tuesday Truths, where he analyzes how well the 120 teams in the nation's top 10 conferences are doing against their league opponents on a per-possession basis. So you can find him on Twitter, at John Gassaway, G-A-S-A-W-A-Y. And we, he loves college basketball. He's a numbers guy. We love numbers. John, it's an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for a few minutes. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, John, both my partner Gus and I have been huge fan of yours for quite some time, but I, I think we have to start this interview back on the December 22nd article. Uh, you published an article then talking about the six remaining undefeated teams. At the time, they were Villanova, UCLA, Baylor, Gonzaga, Creighton, and USC. You then predicted 
when each team was going to lose and you were correct on five out of six, I'm going to give you five and a half because you did predict that Gonzaga would lose to BYU. (laughs) It was just on the road and they lost last night. So, John, we got to start there. That must have been a great feeling, no? And that was totally my editor's fault. I definitely said Gonzaga would lose at home to BYU. (laughs) I would never in a million years predict they would lose on the road instead because everybody knows that uh, BYU would lose by 13 at San Diego, but beat uh, the perfect unbeaten Gonzaga <laughs> team, no problem. No, uh, that, that, was, that was a good run, and uh, you, they don't often line up like that. But as uh, each one came to, uh, came to happen, I thought, wow, maybe, maybe something is uh, cooking here. And then, ah, you know, uh, for, this, this seems like ancient history now, but Gonzaga actually went to BYU and won rather easily. And I stupidly thought, well, that means, you know, this, this team is going unbeaten all the way to the, to the round of 32 at a minimum. But uh, that's, you know, <laughs> that's the great thing about this sport is Gonzaga goes three of 16 on their threes, you know, and uh, BYU makes just enough shots in Spokane to win. Uh, what a great, what a great way to set the table for the tournament, because that's exactly what you'll see in in the brackets is you've got this team every bit as good as Gonzaga, and they just leave the slightest little opening for a, a decent, but by no means you know a legendary opponent, and bam! I mean that's enough on any given uh, any given day. So uh, good good preparation for the tournament should be uh, should be a fun time. No, it definitely should be, and it's funny. I I had liked Baylor all year long, so my partner had reminded me when when you predicted the loss at West Virginia. We did a whole skit on it. I was positive they were going to go in and win. They got their do- doors blown off. So uh, we're, the curse of John Gassaway, we're going to call it from, <laughs> from here on out. So yeah, that was that was the that was a rare instance where it really wasn't even close. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, no. I remember that game, and I was like literally sitting down. You know, I just had my popcorn already. Yeah. It, was, it was over after about seven minutes. I was like, wait a minute, I, I've got two hours blocked out for this. So uh, yeah, that that was not a particularly tense matchup. But that one we do uh we do some picks against the spread and and my partner is right now he only puts a couple out so he holds back and he uses all these metrics one of course is is yours which is fantastic and i remember that point spread which was uh somehow baylor undefeated number one in the country was an underdog by seven so when i saw that i said uh john's tied into something here you know but my stubbornness (laughs) refused to to give in but about you know midway through the first half it was uh, it was done (laughs) Uh, let, let's let's go to Gonzaga. So they lose at home last night to BYU 79-71. I think the general opinion has been, listen, we've seen this before, right? 2013, they were number one seed. They struggled in the first round against Southern, 64-58. And then they lost, of course, to Wichita State, who made the Final Four that year. 2015, they received the two seed. They had a decently close game with North Dakota State. Then they beat Iowa, UCLA, and they lost to Duke in the Elite Eight. But for those that have watched the team, which I know you have, I think they look different this year. My partner certainly does. He picked them to the Final Four. Better scoring, better chemistry balance. You've written about this in your Tuesday Truth last week. After that loss, though, are you still bullish on Gonzaga's Final Four chances? Well, it's not so much that I'm bullish on Gonzaga. is that I'm, you know, the bearishness that some people feel toward the Zags, I feel like we should visit that upon every contender because every team is doomed after all, except for one. So absolutely, Gonzaga can lose at home to BYU. 
Uh, you know, Kansas is going to be a one seed. There's a slight chance they could even be the overall number one seed. They lost at home to Iowa State. I mean, you, you can pick the, you know, Villanova probably will be the overall number one seed. They lost at home to Butler. They got swept by Butler this year. Uh, there are no uh, Kentucky 2015s. If, if that's your, your favored, uh, you know, brew, uh, you can look and not find it. Nobody is so big and scary that they can't get beat in 2017. So I share the skepticism about Gonzaga. I just feel like they're on the same plane as everybody else. And so that's a glass half full compliment, I think. Uh, they, they are just as good and just as vulnerable as these major conference teams that I mentioned. Uh, you're right. They do score well, particularly on the interior, even last night, they were, you know, no problem making their twos. And I think that will serve them well over the long haul. They are a dominant uh, team, both offensively and defensively inside the arc outside, uh, just the same, uh, just plain folks as we saw last night. But uh, Zach Collins has not talked up enough. Uh, he's, he's a freshman who comes off the bench, a really good rim defender. And then Karnowski gets all the publicity. He's just a, a two-point machine. Uh, Williams Goss does a good job getting to the rim. So, uh, yeah, you know, if you want to say this is a little better uh, positioned as a team than they were in 2015 or even 14, or, I'm sorry, 13, uh, I can see that, but th those were good teams as well. And, you know, in fairness to Gonzaga, they kept, they kept losing to teams who did go on to the Final Four or even win the national championship. So it is about who you're bracketed with. Maybe it'll pan out for Mark Few this season. Yeah, I think you touched on a really important point. This college basketball season has been tremendous from the very beginning with some great last-second games and big matchups. I was someone who was saying that St. Mary's was going to beat Gonzaga. They were going to be the ones that trip up Gonzaga. They have the five starters returning. Uh, they had 25 wins last year. Once Gonzaga got by them, I, I just sort of wrote it off. But they do. Gonzaga does shoot twos at a very, very high rate. And I think that that's the key to this season. Um, both teams last year in the final game, UNC and Nova, they shot their twos very well, of course, excluding, you know, the final two shots probably is what everybody remembers. <laughs> but, you know, who are, who are some teams that sort of lost art of shooting twos, right? Who are some teams that you've come across in your numbers that shoot twos at a high rate that, that you know, maybe could bode well for the postseason? Well, it's funny that you mentioned St. Mary's because, you know, they're the victims of an unfortunate optical illusion. They, they basically are as good as everybody thought they would be. It's just they're doing it in the season of, you know, this incredible Gonzaga happening. Uh, this is one of the better St. Mary's teams of uh, any time. That includes the Della Vadova teams. So they really are all that. They're experienced. They make their twos, you know, at a nice 56% clip in, in West, West Coast Conference play. So... Don't sleep on the gales necessarily. Uh, I had a, you know, not to keep recycling the same names, but I wrote last week how Villanova is possibly the best two-point shooting team ever. It, it's hard to throw those superlatives around in a season when uh, the entire sport is shooting twos better than they used to. Uh, the numbers are up across the board. I, I do think that coaches are getting the message through to kind of stay away from those two-point jumpers and uh, emphasizing getting all the way to the rim. Uh, and that, that does have a beneficial effect on the percentages we see. But uh, I'm like you. I, I just feel like that's a nice little security blanket. I, I like to see an offense that can you know do that uh, 
you know, if you make threes too, that's that's a great bonus. So I'm kind of describing the UCLA offense there, and then uh, it's it's doubly reassuring if then you turn around as Gonzaga does and you you force misses in the paint. So that doesn't mean that I'm going to pick Gonzaga to win the national championship. I, I want to see the bracket come out, but uh, those are general tendencies that that do feel reassuring in March. Were you surprised, John, with that bracket preview, which you know junkies, basketball junkies like us, ate up? I was shocked. I, I did not know that they really give so much emphasis to the location. And I had a friend of mine who's a huge Villanova fan sort of complain and say, okay, because of location and the seating, I believe the bracket was, let's see, they had Villanova, they had Kentucky, Louisville, and UCLA. I mean, the bracket of death. I, it really <laughs> does. It, it almost makes it seem like I don't know if location matters as much in terms of if the other teams below you are going to be in a difficult pod. Maybe a team like Villanova would rather go out west if they had an easier bracket than stay in Madison Square Garden, fight a UCLA team that you wrote about, you know, is is prolific on offense. And then, you know, after that battle, they're going to fight the winner of, you know, let's say a Kentucky Louisville, hypothetically, of course. What right. are your thoughts on that, on that seeding that came out there? Well, you know, as a coach, you have got no control over that, you know, presently. I've bandied about the idea of more of a bracket draft kind of format where you would uh, have exactly the choice you talk about. You know, do I want to be uh, a one seed who plays close to home or if I get a shot in an easier bracket, maybe I'm willing to uh, cross the country. I think those would make for some interesting choices. I think it would make for great live TV if it were kind of a draft oh, format. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And I mean, no matter what the what the coach decides, you know, you would get booed just like every team at the NBA draft gets booed no matter what they decide. <laughs> and um, I think it would make for a really, really good selection show, basically, although it, technically it's not a selection show. It would be more of a seeding show. But the NCAA could still, you know, do the S-curve and then teams would in that order pick their spot. Um, I think it would be fun. But short of that, you know, Jay Wright will have to uh, play the the bracket that he's handed. And he'll know that there, A, there always is a bracket of death um, that just looks forbidding on the, the day that it's released. B, it usually doesn't, you know, pan out. Somebody loses. And C, you know, what does Villanova care anyway? I mean, they were, they were a two seed yep. who had to beat a one, a very good one in the form of Kansas last year. And they did it. You know, Kansas is probably Kansas last year is probably better or as good as any team that Villanova can face this year. And maybe that's Jay Wright's bolton board material is, hey, we, we, we have no fear. Bring on, you know, Kentucky, bring on UCLA. And uh, they're they're pretty good, the Wildcats. So I wouldn't uh, wouldn't undersell their chances. We're talking with ESPN Insiders John Gassaway today. Uh, let's move on to one of the most uh, polarizing teams, I think, in college basketball is Virginia. Uh, inside, you recently wrote about this on Tuesday Truths. You mentioned UVA's uh, offense is broken. Uh, my partner and I have argued about Virginia all year long. He loves their metrics, their defense, defensive efficiency, um, everything that Virginia is really all about. But my view is this, John. They couldn't get by their green kryptonite, uh, no pun intended, in Michigan State. Then all they have to do is beat number 10 seed uh in 13 lost Syracuse, they had a 16-point lead, and then they blow that, which is massively un-Virginia-like, and they had a great score in Malcolm Brogdon. Now, this year, they have Jack Salt, Mariel Shayok, sort of role players, uh, and and they have an efficient uh, yet great athlete, not a great athlete, rather, in London Perennis. 
I think they're headed towards an early round upset. What's wrong with Virginia, and can Coach Bennett take it to the shop, tune it up, and, and spit it out for uh, for March Madness? Yeah, they're uh, they're playing great defense as always and taking excellent care of the ball, which should matter. But unfortunately, they they are really reliant on jumpers. Uh, you know, not not that they're necessarily a perimeter-oriented team who shoots a lot of threes, but even when they shoot twos, they don't necessarily uh, get looks at the rim. They're, they're still uh, shooting a jump shot, even though it, it might be a, a relatively uh, close-in attempt. And that's, that's a tough way to live. Uh, they don't emphasize uh, drives all the way to the 10 at Virginia. That doesn't necessarily matter when you play defense as phenomenally well as they do. But <laughs> they, hit a, they hit a rough patch, obviously, until they got to the welcoming arms of the NC State defense. And then suddenly they looked like world beaters again on offense. So it is a concern uh, going forward. And Virginia might be a case where as... Uh, Surprising as this season has been and as weird as the preseason AP top 25 would look right now, if you took a look at it with teams like Texas, and Connecticut and Indiana there, um, Virginia might be one case where the preseason conventional wisdom was uh, or is slowly <laughs> turning out to be correct, because I remember um, self-consciously writing because I was thinking I was just parroting a, a me too point, you know, wow, Virginia is going to be good on defense again. You know, they, they really line up to do well on that side of the ball, but uh, got to worry about losing Brogdon and they're probably going to take a step back on offense. That basically is what we're looking at statistically the last week of February in ACC play. So maybe in this one instance, and one instance only, uh, maybe we were smarter than we knew back in November. Yeah, de- no, definitely. And and now let's switch to the West Coast love, specifically a little Pac-12. Uh, I know the ACC and Big 12 have been talked up as top conferences in the country. You talked recently about seed points, which I loved, and how that can be used to measure a conference performance. Uh, based off the bracket preview that you saw, the ACC had 12 seed points. The Big 12 had, had nine. And I think Oregon, UCLA, and Arizona, that trio, I think they all could make the Elite Eight and maybe even further. And so we talk about the Big 12 being the, the toughest conference in the ACC. In your analysis, where does the Pac-12 rank against those other conferences? Uh, the Pac-12 suffers by comparison because the bottom of the league is not as good, uh, specifically if I don't want to embarrass any team, but uh, Oregon State is, is having a very uh, down year statistically. And the, the trouble with comparing conferences head-to-head, one, they're different sizes, and two, uh, if if you're bothering to compare conferences, obviously they're good. So, I mean, nobody says, well, let's you know talk about the MEAC versus the, the Sun Belt. I mean, if you're talking Pac-12, obviously they're good, but the the tops of good conferences tend to um, run to a type you know it's 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 like Tolstoy's line about families but the, the <laughs> bo- but the bottoms of conferences you know those those can be you know the bottom of the Big Twelve is just incredible I mean if Texas is your worst team and they're whatever they are number seventy or seventy five in the country I mean, that's probably the best last place team uh, in a long time good point good point uh, the Pac twelve cannot make that claim I mean Oregon State is really really bad and you know that's hey that's one twelfth of the conference that does hit your bottom line statistically so nobody's you know saying the back 12 is the best conference in the country or best top to bottom it's just that we're not used to seeing 
uh, three Pac-12 teams. In fact, you know, you bring up seed points, which is just you get four points for a one and one for a four and everything in between. Uh, the Pac-12 has a shot at, at their best seeding performance that way in uh, 15, 16 years, the last time I looked at it. So that's how good these top three are, speaking, of course, of Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA. Uh, they're good, even though they play in the same league as Oregon State. And uh, I agree with you. They're, they're all threats to go deep into the tournament. I still feel like people aren't getting a correct handle on Oregon and specifically the defense they played or are playing current, uh, current tense. Uh, people don't just look at, you know, a body like uh, Boucher's and think, wow, he's a, he's a tough defensive dude, yep. but mm-hmm. you know, look what happens to the ball when you attempt a shot against him and you'll understand, uh, this is a really tough defense. And Oh, by the way, they, they score well too. So, uh, don't sleep on Dana Allman's guys. Uh, another team, John, West Virginia, very divisive here on our park podcast. I call them the Ben Roethlisberger of college basketball because I feel like when they're home, they're significantly better than when they're on the road. Of course, unless you're from Oklahoma, uh, because the Sooners and Cowboys have no trouble winning in West Virginia. The big thing is the turnover rate. Is that a measure that we should really pay attention to? How does turnover rate in your experience correlate to the tournament, if at all? Well, you know, a couple things about West Virginia. Yes, they they force turnovers. So what I want to look at is what do they do when they don't? And even in a world where there were no turnovers or I don't know, where everybody had the same turnover rate, it's it's the same thing. Uh, they would still be better than their opponents. It's true. They wouldn't be as much better as their opponents as they are because they've, they've got a really healthy turnover margin. But, you know, this is a, a basically sound defense, uh, even when they, when they don't, uh, get a turnover out of you, opponents are are missing a a healthy, although not outrageous number of twos against them in big 12 play. And I guess the other point I would make about the Mountaineers would be the obvious, you know, counter, uh, factual. What if they, uh, (laughs) what if they failed to collapse at Kansas? (laughs) What if they really Mm -hmm. did win that game? You know, how, how different would your attitude be? Even if they just won it by one point after, uh, collapsing in the last four minutes, you know, would you feel dramatically different about a team that won at Allen Fieldhouse? Yeah, maybe a little bit. And, you know, in effect, they, they very nearly did pull that off, which Iowa State had just done previous to them. So uh, I, I doubt that I'll be picking West Virginia to win it all. But, you know, possession for possession, this does rate out as a you know, really good uh, Big 12 team, the, the best one uh, in the Big 12. They've got some funky uh, close losses and some uh, weird scoring margins and big wins. So I don't necessarily think that's the end all and be all but they're, they're certainly up there on the same bleachers as kansas even though they won't get the same seed as the jayhawks and you're right winning at fog allen can jumpstart you look at iowa state and how how hot right. they are right now all right uh, gosh john we could talk forever a uh, last question then i got i'll get you out of here appreciate it uh small schools teams like the wichita states of the world the shockers are 27 and 4 right now and 17 and 1 in missouri in the missouri valley conference they really haven't beaten a big-name team all year uh, unless you count, and I love how you referred to this, was it the best-worst team in the country in Oklahoma something, <laughs> right. or something like that? If right. the Shockers don't win the Missouri Valley, I personally would want them to get in the tournament because I hate seeing dominance like at Wichita State miss out on the tournament for a 7-9 and nine big conference team 
getting in over them. I'm not talking, you know, about a team that's 25 and 10 or something and loses in the semifinals. But if Wichita State with a huge season, dominance in their conference, beside, and the only loss really, right, was a road loss at Illinois State, which isn't terrible. Um, no one wants to play them. Do they get in, in your mind, in the conference finals if they lose and, and to the NCAA tournament? And what are your thoughts on the, the dominance of the small schools that maybe stumble in the conference tournament? Well, there is a precedent uh, in, in there is a precedent in play here, and that's called Wichita State last year. Uh, they had a, a worse record uh, than they're going to have on Selection Sunday. They were they were only twenty four and eight. They did lose uh, in the semis of the Missouri Valley Tournament, and it was funny because they were just as beloved of laptops last year. As they were, as they are this year, and for reasons that don't necessarily apply currently, I, I was gearing up to say, "No, be careful, watch out!" You know, don't believe the laptops on Wichita State, mm-hmm. and the conversation quickly sunk, swung around to, "They don't even deserve to get in." And I had to backpedal furiously. Go, no, no, wait! I don't be that. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. Don't right. listen to John Gassaway that much. Right, there you go. That, that's what, when, you, when you're like E.F. Hutton. When you talk, we yeah. all listen. That's it. <laughs> Clearly, they deserve to get in. You're, you're misunderstanding me. So uh, I, I, I do think they're safely in, even even short of a, an automatic bid. Um, but, you know, it's it's a fair question. I mean, they're, they're whomping the heck out of the Missouri Valley uh, all season long. And the, the Valley is is interesting because they've got Illinois State and really no other team that you can measure off of and say, yeah, this is this is believable. We, we trust this. So uh, I've outlined some reasons where I'm, I'm slightly leery of uh, a team in Wichita State's position, not necessarily. Uh, the Shockers in 2017, per se. And one thing that, that does get at me year after year is that the Missouri Valley, as a conference, does not try for offensive rebounds. So uh, a team in the Shockers position, and this is not you know their doing or their fault, there's nothing they can do about it, they're going to look a little better than I think they otherwise would, specifically on defense, because the other team is there saying, here, please take this rebound. And nobody ever, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be in North Carolina even, but just like a normal team who says, yeah, you know, we'll, <laughs> we're going to go for this. We're going to try for this mm-hmm. offensive rebound. I mean, that will sometimes they will get those. They'll get putbacks and that'll hit your bottom line. So I, I don't suppose that, you know, Wichita State is is really going to shut down opposing defenses or opposing offenses. I'm sorry when they get to the tournament. But, uh, yeah, clearly this is an NCAA tournament uh, caliber team that any uh, major conference higher seed is, is going to have to to take very seriously. And if, if you guys haven't been watching uh, Wichita State, my gosh, just in the game yesterday where Missouri State hung around, and it was at Springfield, Missouri, uh, Landry Shamit is, uh, yep. is just growing by game by game as a freshman. And it's, you know, it's like Fred Van Who. I mean, this guy, yeah, yeah, just, funny. this guy is just draining threes. So, I mean, if, if you could play defense and, and hit the long ball, uh, watch out. Uh, Wichita State is going to be fun to watch. Wow. Well, John Gassler, we can't thank you enough for, for a few moments here. Folks, if you're not reading him and following him at ESPN Insider, you're just making a mistake. Great college basketball mind. You can find him on Twitter at John Gassaway. He's on ESPN Insider. He has his own blog, johngassaway.com, where he breaks down so many great stats and really looks at these teams through an analytical and and critical eye. John, thank you so much for a few moments. We're we're thrilled to have you on, and I'm sure you join us in the anticipation of what I think is going to be a phenomenal uh, March Madness NCAA tournament. 
Absolutely. Can't wait to tip it off. And thank you for having me. It was fun. Anytime. Thanks, John. I have to tell you, that was one of the best interviews we had in a real long time. It was awesome. It was awesome. John just breaks things down. I don't know how he, he writes so much. His writings, johngasway.com. You got to check it out. Tuesday Truths. He analyzes each of the 10 big conferences and looks at 120 teams on the per possession basis. Gus, so much information. Where do we begin? So I think the first thing is let's just advise the listeners uh, since you know you might be listening to this on Tuesday. Go ahead and dial up Tuesday Truths and then take a look because what he's going to do is he's going to give you the per possession breakdown in each conference. And with the conference tournaments coming up, like what other information do you want to see like what might happen in each one of these games? So that's the first thing we're going to ask you to do. Like just go check it out. His numbers are mind-boggling and he has a little write-up about something odd or obscure or maybe a little bit off-kilter that he noticed. And those things are like the nuggets of the whole Tuesday truth. Uh, so please go check that out. He, uh, he He's so great at what he does. So on Tuesday, go tune that in. Check it out. It, it, dial it up. It's amazing. Um, but I think, I don't know, Mike, where, what's the first, what's, what thing caught your ear right away um, when you were talking to him? Because you're, you were the one that were, were asking the important questions. So many things. I, I, I loved how he broke down Gonzaga, and it was a, an honor to be talking to him the day after the Gonzaga yeah, lost. To be, I mean, totally it was perfect crazy. timing. He basically was saying, and I think that's what we talked about, that Gonzaga is strong. They're not going to be an early round upset. I think he even made reference to Sweet 16, mm-hmm. but the jury's out um, on how they're going to do from there on out. But he felt that their floor was high. So I'll start there. That was our first question we talked about. You know, besides giving him props for getting those teams right when they were going to lose, and he basically how, un- how unbelievable was that? And he's funny. He's like, "Oh, my editor, uh, <laughs> I, I knew, I knew <laughs> they were going to yeah, you know, BYU was going to lose at home and then beat him on senior night last game without the stuff there." Very but, comical. Yeah, I, I think we have to start there. I mean, he recognizes it. He, he sees that, but I, I think he he likes Gonzaga. I wouldn't say he's totally locked into the Final Four, but I think he feels that they're not getting enough credit. Uh, I totally agree, and I think we can lump in uh, Villanova with that as well uh, since we asked him about uh, the teams that shoot twos really well and if that was in you know, lost art or underrated. And I love the fact that he brought up – if we, I mean you, got, you and I see this, and I'm sure the other listeners see this as well, where the long two is completely devalued and coaches are really stressing. Like if you're going to take the long two, you know, take a step back and shoot the three for more value or just go ahead and take it to the hole and try to get two free throws. So I, it's interesting how – and that's all metric-based, right? Like if we think about uh, how Daryl Morey is like trying to run the Houston Rockets and how he has the beard yep. like trying to do that exact thing. Like he's either going to put up seven threes or shoot 11 free throws. Like it's very rare you see him with the 17-foot pull-up jumper. Um, he designed his team around that. And it's funny how the metrics are now leaking into the college game and colleges are college programs and coaches are also stressing that strategy as well just to you know increase their efficiency on offense yeah and then he went into we talked about Villanova he is high on Villanova talked about how they shot twos at a at a, at a huge clip and then we got into Virginia and of course the p- timing is perfect and listen Virginia with a great win tonight i put out on my uh, fantasy warrior account cuz uh, i put a panda licking his lips and i said mike randall's reaction to to unc minus two <laughs> right? i mean like i gotta come up with something else with the pen getting like attacked but 
Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. Like here, Virginia had a huge win tonight. They they circled the wagons, as Chris Berman would say. But certainly on the road, Gus, it's been a little tricky, and I think you have to be concerned. I mean, again, you know, they didn't have a ton of scoring. Their defense was just so incredible tonight. But what he said is that, you know, basically Virginia is a team that needs to fix it, and it just hasn't been been smooth for them, and they haven't. They really have to start scoring, kind of like you said. The teams that, that tend to, to go on and play in the – do well in the tournament, they can't be super slow because they have to generate offense, but they can't yeah. be totally nuts because then you're going to have too many turnovers and stuff like that. So his numbers right. back and, up. And, and uh, more opportunities for the other team to score. Like, you're going to go either way with it. And, you know, the funny thing is, it's funny that he brought up that, like, they have, they being Virginia, have trouble scoring because they do actually shoot a lot of long twos. <laughs> So it's right, funny how right. he brought it full circle there and explained, like, this is why these teams are good, and then this is why this offense is, as he termed it, a little bit broken. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then, and then we got into some of the small schools. We talked about uh, Wichita State, you know, that that stuff. And then, we t- of course, the Pac-12, right, stuff that he talked about as well. Yeah, let's not exhort, uh, ignore what he brought up about Wichita State. I thought it was fascinating, and I'd be lying if I told you I watched enough Valley games to notice what he brought up. Yeah, they don't rebound, right? They don't offensively. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just think that, like, you know, Wichita State and for this year, uh, Illinois State are just, like, whipping up on people uh, on the defensive end and just shutting people down. But if you go back and think about how that Northern Iowa team has played in years past, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess they do kind of not do that. Yeah, they that, do kind of like just pack everybody back and don't even try to go offensive rebound. They do, and and it styles makes fights, right? So I mean that type of style. It's just funny that they're not going to rate high in some of the metrics, but the way that they play and the other way, the other points to them are, are what really makes them, you know, a dangerous, dangerous seed. You know, and, and and I loved his view, right? So we had Arizona playing UCLA, and the yep. view, of course, and we'll talk about a little bit is how UCLA doesn't play enough defense, right, Gus, and that. The question is, are they going to be able to outscore him? And I think what John was saying uh, is basically, listen, there's a lot of ways to win this thing. And if you're going to be that efficient on offense and you're going to be able to score as UCLA can score, you ain't got to play a lot of defense. <laughs> okay. But, you know, you, it depends on who they run into. But yep. styles make fights, right? Same thing. I, yeah, I think I, I kind of was surprised to hear that he was – that that John was that favorable on the Bruins, even with their shortcomings on the defensive end, uh, you know, metric wise and you know, total score wise and so on and so on. So that kind of opened my eyes and like, you know, when we go ahead and review that game, I did a little bit more research and like what he said is like right on. Of course it is. Like why he's an unbelievably intelligent guy. Of course he's right on. Uh, so yeah, I found that kind of fascinating too, that he was a little bit higher than I thought he would be on UCLA. And, and, you know, it speaks to what we talked about earlier tonight with Gonzaga and, and BYU. You know, I kind of went at him a little bit about West Virginia. You know, obviously, as mm, the mm-hmm. podcast knows, I, I will not be picking Virginia. I will not be picking West Virginia uh, in right. the tournament. But he basically said, how would you feel if West Virginia wins that game in Fog Allen? And right. West Virginia now has beaten Baylor. And West Virginia has now beaten uh, Virginia, right, earlier in the right. year. And West mm-hmm. Virginia has now beaten Kansas. Kansas. And yeah. it's a really fair point because you know what? Iowa State won in the fog, and now all of a sudden we'll talk about them. Your prediction's coming right. They're a house of fire. So John Gassaway, ESPN Insider, can't thank him enough for coming on. Great insight. Tuesday Truth, johngassaway.com. Follow him, read him. The guy's tremendous. We thank him so much for, for his time. 
Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, John. And uh, listeners, I hope that you took what we took from it. It was unbelievably insightful, uh, entertaining, and just plain old, good old-fashioned intelligent. All right, let's get to uh, Battle of the Weekend, my friend. Number five, UCLA 77. Number four, Arizona 72. Just a great, great basketball game, Gus. UCLA got up early, 29-21 on a Bryce Alford three-pointer. How many of those has he hit this year? Uh, Arizona clawed its way back, no pun intended, for a 43-39 halftime lead. Welsh hit a jumper, about 12 left, I think, and they took the lead back 54-53, and they never gave it back to Arizona after that. Uh, They pushed the lead up with a variety of scoring options. It was basically they were up 11 with under five minutes. Arizona then got it back down to three with 30 seconds left, but UCLA got the win by five. Lonzo Ball, Gus, I'm watching this game. He gives the Bruins what they need when they need it. That's his Love name. Love him. I, Love I'm, him. I'm trying to come up with an appliance or a commercial or something that used that phrase because that's what he is. He's fantastic. He scores when they need it. He's hit multiple 30-foot three-pointers when he needs it at Oregon. Remember that one? How about how about can we can we can we term him uh, the Leatherman? Like you know those like and it's not a Swiss Army. Oh, like, yeah, you remember, yeah, good, remember good, what Doctor Tony yes, gave yes, us yes, for leather for his man. wedding? Leatherman, yes. Yeah, he's the Leatherman. That'll stick. He's a Leatherman. John Gasway's got to get the title on this one, <laughs> but Lonzo Ball's Leatherman is coming. Okay, <laughs> he he did everything. He penetrates. I saw a play. You may have seen it too. You know the back and forth. They're trying to cut the lead. Makes a makes a steal, and you can tell he watched Arizona inbound the ball the whole game. He waited yeah. for a perfect opportunity. He jumped the pass right to the foul line, extended, went up. And it, was like a quick was, it was like he was stalking them. It was like he was stalking. The guy yeah. is psychic. He senses what UCLA needs. The Leatherman. What a great name. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> basically, now Gus Arizona now tied with Oregon at fifteen and two atop the Pac twelve. UCLA is basically a game behind the thirteen and three, big game and a half. Arizona's got one game left, Gus, at Arizona State. That is frisky. The Ducks mm-hmm. have to go to Oregon State. I don't think UCLA can win the Pac-12, but what a performance. What a win. Who do you got in the Pac-12 race, my friend? Man, I, you know what? I, I'm still very bullish on Arizona. I love them. I think this loss, much like the Gonzaga loss, makes me like them a little bit more in some strange way. I, I can't really put that into words right now, but maybe moving forward when we get our brackets going in March, um, maybe we'll see why. Uh, here's what I saw. Number one, hashtag West Coast Bigs. It was awesome to see all those bigs play that efficiently and that well. UCLA got busy on the offensive boards, which is pretty shocking against Arizona. It is very hard to attack the offensive boards against those Wildcats and Sean Miller traditionally and this year too. They had 19 second half points, uh, 19 second chance points the Bruins did. And did you see that the Bruins put that length to work and they went a little zone in the second half? Yeah, very and smart I, by Alford. Very yeah. smart. Yeah, and they had Ball in kind of the middle or the head of the zone with his length. It, I, I thought it was a really intriguing move, and I think with their length all around the court, I think it was really smart, and I bet he pops that out at another big moment, whether it be in the Pac-12 tournament or sometime in March. Kind of like, you know how like Bill Self – throws out that like junky uh, triangle in two in a weird situation in March sometime just to throw the, the opponent off a little bit. I can see Offer doing the exact same thing with that type of zone. Um, and, and, and you know and, what? And, I'm sorry, really quick point here. Guys. Yeah, jump in. And here's the thing. he does. They don't have to play deep. They have a great coach. So they don't have to be a lockdown defensive team. He can scheme his way yeah. to two or three minutes of stoppage 
and you can't stop them. So if Alford tends to pull that out, like you said, once in a while, that's good for two, three minutes, little box in one, little triangle in two, and you can't stop a UCLA. That's for darn sure. So you know what? He can scheme them way to defense. And then all of a sudden, maybe they'll pick up defense like Alonzo Bolden against Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. Uh, and then, boom, you're at the TV timeout, and everybody's sitting down resting. Like, it, it, it's pretty brilliant. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know what? Marketing was very plain here, and that was the difference. If you're like Dirk alike, if we can go there, right, uh, goes for only 10 points in the biggest game of the year, you're, you're going to lose. And guess what? UCLA held another team under 80 points. Yeah. They held them to 29 points in the second half on the road. That makes seven games in a row where UCLA has held their opponent under 80 points while averaging just about 90 points a game. All wins, by the way. I know the metrics are still going to point that point to the Bruins being a little short on the defensive end, but I think throw the metrics out on this. We have to watch this team, and watching this team has to override the stats here. Um, and if you are a stat junkie, when Duke entered the tournament two years ago, they were on the wrong side of the defensive metric as well. They were not within that like twenty top 25 Ken Palm defensive barometer that we mentioned last uh, podcast. But they ended up as tourney champs and then ended up with a solid defensive metric. So even if the, your team going in doesn't have that, you could play really well in the tournament and then make that happen. Will the same thing happen here with UCLA? I think the one coach between that Duke team and this UCLA team obviously is the coach. Uh, Alford has never been to a Final Four. Coach K has five national titles. Um, Much like Coach Miller on the other sideline, it's just a short amount of time before that changes for both these Pac-12 coaches. And one of them gets to the Final Four or wins a national championship. Gus, I'll tell you right now, if that bracket that we saw on the preview show was real, with Villanova's problems inside, I'm going to take UCLA. And I think they would be Kentucky too. Kentucky right now, Fox is hurt, so it's a little cheap. I tell you the game I want to see for an Elite Eight. I want to see Louisville-UCLA. I want to see two great coaches. I want to see two teams that go up and down. I want to see great defense versus great offense. Mitchell will get hot. Snyder will hit some shots. But here comes Lonzo Ball. That would be a fantastic Elite Eight game. Fantastic. Next game I want to go to, I'm just going to set the stage. I'm going to sit back and let you fire it away because you deserve it. Iowa State 72, my Baylor Bears 69. Folks, if you followed us, you know exactly how Gus felt about this Cyclone team and particularly Monte Morris. Morris has done exactly what Gus said he would do in our preview show back in November. His assist to turnover ratio is absolutely higher than last year, which is remarkable. And Gus called on his predictions. We're going to have a great prediction show at the end. Some of them we got wrong, especially me, but this one's going to be a home run. Currently, he has 169 assists, Gus, to 28 turnovers, which means after this win, he's over 6-1 to one on turnover assist-to-turnover ratio, as if last year's 241-57, to 57, which is a 4.22 ratio, wasn't good enough. The key to an assist, Gus, of course, is that it's got to lead to a basket. And what's even more amazing to me, and you're more dialed in, this team does not have the offensive firepower of last year's team with Niang. Yet he's mm-hmm. still creating points for the Cyclones, which means he's got to be even better because the team isn't as good. Iowa State's won five in a row, six of the last seven, including an OT win at Kansas, and now they beat Baylor. This is a different team than at the beginning of the year. 19-9 overall, 11-5 in conference, tied for second place in the Big 12. Let's not forget, Gus, we love the seniors in March. 
Morris, who, by the way, is playing over 35 minutes a game, Naz Long, Deontay Burton, Matt Thomas. They're all seniors. This team has come on like gangbusters. Gus, the floor is yours. Very quietly, very quickly, and very deftly, much like Monte Morris himself, the Cyclones are trending in the correct direction. They have all three elements that equal March sneaky success. One, they have an All-American player. Say what you want. Put, Mike, put, put Frank Mason there. That's fine. Monte Morris has proved the last month of the season he is an All-American caliber player. Six to one turnover ratio. That's just sick. What does that even mean? And it's in 35 minutes a game. We called for the higher usage. We, we called for the higher assist to turnover ratio. Monte Morris is delivering. You mentioned the seniors. And the seniors play with big minutes, just like Mike mentioned. That's thing two. Thing three you need for sneaky March success is you need to have a player that no one knows about. Shh. Except for you now, listeners. Now you're going to know. Solomon Young, 6'8", 240, freshman, who's playing about 26 minutes a game over his past five games. He's averaging about two blocks a game. The Frosh only shoots when needed and is shooting 65% from the field, mostly on dunks and putbacks. We've been saying all season the one thing that the Cyclone team, Deprom, is lacking is an inside presence. Young has found the floor and he's found success. He is going to be that difference maker inside for this edition of the Cyclones team. He kind of reminds me of Cyclones active big man, uh, Jamel McKay. They just might have found the missing piece to the puzzle with Young partnering with transferred Daryl Bowie down there in the paint to do the dirty work. People, shh. You heard it here first. The Cyclones are going to be dangerous. Cyclones are going to be dangerous. You're right on the money. I give you the props, my friend. You are all over this. Monte Mars has been incredible. He's making a strong case for first team All-American. Mason's in there from the Big 12. They may not get two, or they may, because they have a tremendous conference. They may have the best conference in the country, them and the UCC. So he's been great. Watch out. This team is 11-5. and five. They're right there. Um, Baylor tonight squeaks out a win. So... To me, Baylor, 71-62 over West Virginia. Um, Listen, tough loss on the road. But the problem is, just a real quick flip side on this one, Baylor, listen, Motley's been stepping up his game, and he's been tremendous, but they're too reliant on Motley right now. Tonight, for example, Gus, 23 points from Motley, 8 rebounds. Joe Lowe had 11. Al Freeman had 12 off the bench. Everyone else had single digits. That's a problem. Uh, No matter LeCon tonight because he was injured. I understand that, so this was a really nice win. But Baylor's got to get more production. They need to do what Iowa State is doing. It's Morris. He's always going to score. It's Burton, Thomas, everyone across the board. Naz Long, like you said, Salmon Young inside. Iowa State is a dangerous, dangerous March team. They're, they are that under-the-radar team that you kind of want to get your eyes on. And if they keep playing well, they won't be under the radar. But just remember you heard about them here first. Where should we go next, Mike Randall? I think we got to head to the Gators. And the oh. Gators were looking good. The Gators were playing well. Everyone was rolling. No De'Aaron Fox to start the game. Everyone's sitting there saying, this is going to be a Florida run. I have put something out on Twitter about that. But Kentucky with a gritty, gritty win, Gus. 76-66 at home against a real good Florida team without their starting point guard. 
Great opportunity for Florida. They've had a phenomenal year, but this was a big win for Kentucky, a big statement win. So Malik Monk had a long overdue reindeer optics performance in the second half, scoring 30 of his 33. And if you're asking and you're a new listener and you're saying reindeer optics, we're just going to say, don't be afraid to tune in and tell a friend. You never know what you're going to learn about here on Screen the Screener. His game did not just rely on jumpers. That mid-range game that had been missing made an appearance, and he took it hard to the rack. He Variety. did. Oh, he did. So true. Variety, Malik. Diverse methods of scoring make this team special and make you a special scorer. Another path to score for uh, KU, we called for it last week on the podcast, was Bam Adebayo inside. He went for 18-15, and 15, monster game from the big guy inside. Florida had trouble with both areas. If the Gators could have shut one of these scoring faucets off, then the Gators might they might win this game. But they couldn't stop both of them. They couldn't shut down Bam, and they couldn't contain Monk in the second second half. And we love using the term like market correction, and it fits perfectly here for Florida. They have been flying high. They have been receiving tons of props across the nation. But you know what? Maybe they were due for a loss. Maybe they were due for a short step. Maybe they were due for what Gonzaga was due for. Maybe they just had a tough loss. The Gators' profile is still stellar. They still possess crazy numbers, efficiency on the metrics end, and they have players at every position on the court. I'm not jumping off the Gator boys yet. I still like them moving forward in March. Mike, you okay with the Gators? You okay with the you go you okay with the Wildcats? Anything else you got with this one? No, totally fine. Totally fine with the Gators. It would have been a nice win. They've had a great year either way. Mike White's done a great job. Uh, there's lots of positive to take from this game for them. They went on the road into a tough environment. Kevon Allen, five eleven from three point range, twenty four points. Casey Hill, no turnovers. I mean, there's just numbers across the board that we can be excited about for Florida. This was yeah. more about Kentucky. Kentucky took it. They need Bam to perform. Because Bam performs, it makes those shots open for Gabriel. It makes those shots opens for opens for Willis, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but real nice job by Kentucky. No De'Aaron Fox, who they need in order to go far in, in March. But I think this is more about Kentucky than is Florida. Still like Florida a lot. Uh, agreed. Um, a li- I, you know what? I like both teams. I think it was a really gutty win for Kentucky. Uh, but I'm not jumping off the Gator bandwagon by any means. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for that time. Let's kick the can around down Broadway, and let's give you a quick preview. Mike, are you ready to take the traditional position on the couch and tell us what you think of these games? Hit the music, my friend. On Broadway. Okay, listeners, here we go. Do a quick Broadway for you. We'll give you the rundown of a couple big games that we're having our eyes on. Let uh, And we'll give you a leaning one way or the other, and Mike will tell you straight out some rational and irrational thinking. Number 15, FSU heads to Duke. Lots of mystery concerning the Duke roster here, who's going to be ready and who's going to be healthy. It's going to be senior night for the Dukies. I'm saying right now I bet the Frosh steals the spotlight from the seniors and Tatum headlines this thing and steals this game for the, for the Dukies. I don't know who's going to steal the spotlight, but Duke better get their act together. No Grayson Allen because of injury. They may not have him or Emil Jefferson because they're going to rest for the North Carolina game potentially. Listen, basketball is not a Jenga puzzle. You can't just put it together and spit it out in March and all of a sudden say, this is how it's going to be. They need to be healthy. They need to play together. They've been struggling all year long. They've been up and down. If they're healthy and they're all playing together, they're a dangerous team. 
Jefferson's still hurt. Allen's now hurt. They have no bench. This is going to be a close game. I agree with the closeness of it. I think Tatum pulls it out at the end. Indy is going to head to number 16, Purdue. Indy is desperate for another signature win. If Purdue wins this game, they can clinch a share of the regular season title. We got an interstate rivalry going here. Give me Swan again with a defining game at home to seal up the win, to seal up the title, and to seal up his big 10 player of the year. I bet Purdue would love to win this game against last year's regular season champions in Indiana. I'll tell you this. I know it's a rivalry game. I think there's two teams in the Big Ten that can cause damage in March, and they're at different ends of the standings right now. Purdue and Michigan. Those are the two teams. I don't think the teams in the middle can really go very far. I like them. Northwestern, certainly. I don't think they're going very far. I don't think Michigan State's going very far. Maryland, we talked about the whole thing. If Purdue is the team that I think they are, Gus, they win this game by double digits. I'm not saying Indiana doesn't come ready to play and Blackman and Bryant. Swanigan's best player on the court. He may be a national player of the year, by the way. Depends on how Mason finishes up. I think Mason has the edge, but I think Swanigan's ahead of heart right now, believe it or not. I I believe it, and I think think if you include those guys in your top three, that's where the conversation starts for sure. Maybe throw Lonzo in there from UCLA. If Purdue is what I think they are, I think a Denny Green guy rest his soul. We thought they were. We played them in the third game. Everybody played three quarters. The Bears are who we thought they were. And that's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. If Purdue is what we think they are, they win this game by double digits. Oklahoma State is going to test out Hilton Magic in Iowa State. Iowa State's favored by four here. This is a huge matchup at the point guard with Monte Morris and Juwan Evans. Will Evans go off for like 30 like he did against UNC? Or will he revert to an off-subpar game 4 for 14 like his last matchup against Morris? I think Evans is the barometer of this game. Evans goes off. Oak State has a shot. If he goes 4 for 14, give me another Iowa State win. Gus, do you know what Wednesday, January 18th was this year? Wednesday, January 18th. Yep. Um, All right, give it to us. (laughs) Since that date, Oklahoma State has won 10 of 11 games. That was the end of their six-game slide against Kansas State. They They won five in a row. Then they lost against Baylor in a close game at home. And now they've won five in a row. They are on fire. Iowa State is hot. I get that. But Underwood's got this Oklahoma State team going in the right direction. This is a fantastic game of Balancesto. That's what I'll tell you. I can't wait to watch it. That's going to be a good one. I can't wait to see those guys duel duel it out at the point. Um, both of them are ultra talented. Both of them are probably, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think they're all big 12 players, both of those guys? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had to put in, we have a roundtable on BT Powerhouse, and I had to fill this out. We'll put it out on Twitter where I had to fill out what I thought the Big Ten uh, first team was and the rookie team. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. I will put it out. It, it was it was cool. All the writers got together. We all got to pick our teams, things like that, who we thought it was. This is a really tough call in the Big 12 because there's so many good players. Yeah. Um, Monte Morris is absolutely on. It's not even a question. I, yeah, I, I think they're more second team. I, I do. I, yeah, I think, I, okay. But, but he's done a fantastic job, and this is a dangerous, dangerous team moving forward, I have to tell you. I can't wait to watch this game. Listen, if you made me pick, uh, I'll take the points. Just give me the points because I think it's going to be close. Fair. Michigan, speaking of Big Ten, Michigan is going to travel to Northwestern. Is this it? Are they going to seal the deal here? Or does Michigan continue rolling? What's going to happen? 
This is really such an exciting week. I may pass out right now. I'm so excited. Think about the ramifications for this game, Gus. North, Northwestern has got to right the ship. They lost 5-7. of seven. People are starting to say they don't belong. They're home. They're going to be fired up. But here comes Michigan. They got Wagner inside. They shoot the threes. Senior leadership. They need this game because they need to be in. I think it's fantastic. I'm going to give the edge to Northwestern. I think they find a way at home. I think the fans are fired up. Boy, I have to tell you, though, it's going to be close. Michigan could definitely pull it out. They're playing well. Beeline's a great coach. I guess my it's a hard head game. Don't bet this one. It's a hard head game. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to say Northwestern because I want to see them win this game. Michigan doesn't need to win this game. I think they can win one in the in the Big Ten and they'll be in. But Northwestern needs this game because they got to stop the slide. Uh, my only input here on this game is I just want to see how right Scotty Lindsay is. I think if he is closer to 100 percent than he was the last couple of games. Give me Northwestern if he reverts back to like that first game back where he was, where he's a little sluggish, a little off his game, maybe not in full game shape. I think Michigan takes it. I love this matchup as well, probably as much as the Oklahoma State, Iowa State one. I'm going to try to put my eyes on both those games. All right, we're going to give a little small school mid-major love here. Vermont begins the charge toward the American East crown after ending up the regular season 16-0. and Maine is up first in the conference tourney for the Catamounts. Do the Catamounts get tripped up early? No way, right? No, they don't get tripped up early. I, I would say they could get tripped up. I love what John Becker's doing. Catamounts have been fantastic. Not talking enough about them. I think they have a second longest winning streak in the country right now. Mm-hmm. But you got to watch out for Stony Brook. you got to watch out for Albany. It's been a thorn in the side for them. Could get tricky as they move forward. But no, the Catamounts are not getting tripped up early. No way. I don't think so either. Uh, last one we'll take a peek at. VCU goes on the road to Dayton. VCU has been out of character the last couple of games, which means this is going to be another close game between these two teams. <laughs> How about give me Zarius Williams with a couple threes in the second half to help Dayton get the win, and Dayton wraps up the regular season Atlantic 10 title. I'm with you. I love Dayton. VCU with a bad loss to Rhode Island there. They got tripped up there. Listen, they end the year with George Mason at home, which is not going to be easy either. I'm taking Dayton, the Flyers. Archie Miller's got it rolling right now at home. Chance to lock up the A-10. I think they do it. You know who's looking almost back to normal? You're a guy that's been talking about coming back, Josh Cunningham. 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 He's looking good. Uh, Listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in the Screen the Screener podcast back-to-back days. If you're doing that, thank you so much for uh, listening to – John Gassaway and his absolutely intelligent insights on the sport that we love. Uh, thank you, Belljar, for bringing us in and out. Um, thank you to the tech department for hooking up these awesome interviews we've had on the last two podcasts. Thank you, tech department. Technology, Oak State, Iowa State, get your popcorn ready. <laughs> love that. That's beautiful. And uh, Mike Randall, anything else you want to ha- uh, pass out to the listeners out there? Yeah, really quick, guys. Listen, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, take the 30 seconds, go on iTunes, give us the ratings. That's how we, we survive. That's how people you know make us more popular. We move up and we can have a bigger audience and get you some more things and more things in your earbuds, as, as Gus would say. Uh, feel free to contact us on uh, Gmail sdspodcast at gmail.com you can contact us on twitter at sdspodcast myself at fantasy ftsy warrior mike gus at c kern c k e a r n s 12 and uh, send us stuff you have information for us guys who send us direct messages all the time we got uh, someone uh on twitter 
at Jimmy Chitwood, Jimmy underscore Chitwood, sent us some stuff today. He had a 15-page breakdown about the criteria for the Final Four. He looked at the 60 Final Four teams from 2002-2016. He sent it to us uh, at Jimmy underscore Chitwood. Follow him. We're going to take a look at that. We'll be talking about that more in some of the upcoming podcasts, some great stuff. So we know there's junkies out there. There's vagabond basketball junkies. Send us stuff. Contact us. We'll get it on the show. We'll get your questions, your comments on the show. It's just the best time of year, people. That's all there is to it. That's why we've gone back to back and a belly to belly tonight, John Gassaway. Yesterday, Thomas Bendit. Who knows what's coming up this week, Gus? Yeah, we'll see. We might have a couple more surprises for your listeners out there. We'll see. Hey, listen, uh, Mike Randall, one last question for me. Does Big Shem, Shemek Karnowski, like to screen or? Or Big Shem, does he come off the screen and make that mid-range jumper? But you know where he's not making it, my friend, in Alpha Undefeated Pie, because that fraternity <sighs> is closed. The doors are closed. Kudos to Gonzaga. Folks, we'll be back on Thursday night, Friday morning. We'll have the next one up. We can't wait. Enjoy the games. It's the best time of year. March on Wednesday. Here we go, Gus. 